There are so many things that these people sitting there and writing these laws to make their God happy just don't think about. Yeah. They just don't think about the big picture. They don't understand where some of these decisions come from and how flat out necessary they are in some circumstances. Only time will tell precisely how strong our Constitution really is and whether or not it can continue standing up to the tyrannies of a Supreme Court whose majority seats are clearly more concerned with the musings of a fictional bloodthirsty deity than they are with the safety, well-being, and freedom of the people over whom they lord their power. Keep it up, Texas. Pretty soon, your head count will be one in three in two categories. Death sentences on alleged criminals and on women who get pregnant when they don't want to. There is no legit medical reason why any of this has to be a thing. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. What, Texas? It isn't enough to be responsible for a third of all executions in the U.S. Now you need to lead the nation in pointless deaths arising from pregnancy and childbirth because women who live there can't get abortions when they need them to? That's very pro-life of you. Mm. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight we are going to take a much bigger, much closer look at what's happening in Texas and also draw attention to some uncomfortable truths about what happens when you take away a woman's right to an abortion. But before we get into that, persecuted by bikinis and a situation that got a little intense for one of YouTube's formerly craziest unhinged preachers, it's time for Christians Behaving Badly. Shell, what have you got for us this week? Well, the word of the day is persecution. The phrase of the day is, I do not think it means what Christians think it means. I know it doesn't mean what Christians think it means. It never does. First up, man on beach finds girls in bikinis, preaches at them because freedom of speech. Freedom. Logan Dorn, a man who thinks he's the freaking Beach police has come into the news lately after a TikTok of him harassing girls on the beach about what they're wearing went viral. The TikTok should embarrass him. It's ultimate cringe. But of course, it doesn't. Of course not. To him, this is normal. Yes. And I'm not sure he's the beach police as much as he is the bikini police. Yes, which is kind of like... It says a lot. Yes, it does. As far as I'm concerned, it says a lot about where his head actually is where both of his heads actually are. Yeah, right? Mia, the girl who recorded the video, and eight other friends headed down to the water in Fort Collins, Colorado, when they were approached by a man, later identified as Logan Dorn. The 18-year-old captures Dorn confronting the women over their outfits, saying, Why do you dress this way? That's a thong, and that's a bra. The girls react in the way you would expect. Mostly telling them to fuck off and please go away and nervous laughter. Mm -hmm. During the interaction, there's a chorus of please go away. Why are you looking at me? Close your eyes. I'm not flaunting anything. Don't look at me. Please go and get the fuck away from the group of women. It sounds to me like some of them were way more polite 
Yes. Than they really needed to be in that situation. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like I, fuck off a whole lot better than some I, of these yeah, others. Yes, I, I do. But I think some of them were more nervous. Oh, sure. Which I would be like really nervous if some dude came up to me like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, just think about it. You know, what he's talking about and knowing that he's looking you up and down. Yeah, looking for flaws and looking for whatever. Well, just, you know, I'm sorry, just plain looking. Yes. Never mind flaws. Yeah. Well, he continues because he's not going to go away. Of course not. Adding, take young eyes into consideration. They don't need to see pornography before uttering, if men of God don't stand up, then our society's going to go down the drain because there's no morality. So a woman in a bikini is pornography. Yes. They are uh, doesn't girls. Doesn't pornography require some kind of a camera? Pornography. 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 A body. Yes. A body that's covered to a degree that is normal for the setting that it's in. Yes. That's pornography. Yes. Got it. Okay. Almost as soon as the video starts, you can hear the girls saying, you don't have to look and leave us alone. But of course, he's a Christian man, so clearly their requests don't count. After the video went viral, Dorn posted a TikTok of his own defending his actions. He explains he was at the beach with family members of all different ages, including young children. Dorn claims someone in his party said their group had to move as there were college-age women here that were showing too much. It's a beach. I don't know. You bring your kids to the beach. Didn't we have this conversation already? Yes, we did. You bring your kids to the beach. They're going to see people in bikinis. That guy who was like carrying the sign on the beach. Yeah. You know, repent. It sounded so like that that I was wondering if we were going over the same story again. No, but it's not. No, it's not. It's really sad. Well, he continues. He says in that moment, I just had a righteous anger come over me and also just emboldened by the Holy Spirit to go and confront these ladies and to speak truth that, hey, what you're wearing is not okay for a nine-year-old boy or a six-year-old boy. Dorn said in that moment, a righteous anger to defend and protect young eyes came over me. Dude, I don't know about you, but I sure as hell don't want any man, Christian or not, Walk up to me in righteous anger. That way lies assault charges. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And later in the video, he talks about the moral downcline of America. Downcline. 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 I want to see that in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Yes. Downcline. Yeah. It's like downcline. Okay. Because of the publicity the video has gotten, the construction company that Dorn worked for Mighty Hand Construction has terminated his employment. Oh, to be his hand extended. (laughs) Dorn has gotten nothing from his publicity, except derision, which I'm sure he feels is persecution. Nope, only the consequences of your own actions, dickweed. Oh, truth, truth. You know, I look at the name of the company, and I have to... It it sounds to me like it's a Christian company. it sounds like. So... Even his own evangelical employer. It sounds like. I don't know. It sounds like. I don't know. It sounds like it. But yeah. But it would make this so much better if it was a Christian company that he worked for. Because it's just like what we talk about with the televangelists. Sometimes people go so batshit and off the rails with the way that they think and how they convey their thoughts that even people who identify with them can't get behind them. 
So I think this is kind of cool. Yeah. That the company stepped up and said, "Yeah, you know what? We're not going to we're not we're, we're not going to endorse this like yeah. in any way, shape, or form. No. You're gone." Yeah, really. Well, next up, Rage Pastor, no likey criticism. Aww. Twitter, no, no likey, likey Rage Pastor. <laughs> Me no likey criticism. <laughs> Twitter, no likey Rage Pastor. Rage Pastor has an angry. Oh, poor persecuted pastor. Aww. Tell us who it is. Yes. Pastor Greg Locke, our least favorite tent preacher, has taken his congregation to task for criticizing him behind his back, calling them hypocrites for complaining that he uses his sermons to rant about politics and spread conspiracy theories. Here's a quote. We've got some people under the tent right now. You have the hardest time keeping your mouth shut about your church. So I'm going to sit here for about 15 seconds and just give you a chance to leave anytime you want to because we need your seat anyhow, you complaining judgmental Pharisee, he said. Wow. Wow. (laughs) If you can call me out behind closed doors, why don't you be man enough to put on your big boy pants, stand up and walk out right now in front of everybody, you coward. He then hoots, woo, I'm about fired up this morning. I just wish that that had been aimed at me. I would give my right eye to have been the target of that one. Because watch me. Watch me as I take him up on it. Yeah, right? Just watch me. I'd be on that platform. If you think I'm going to stop just because you want me to, you've lost your mind, he said. I'm just getting started. I'm just now calling out Joe Biden. I'm just now preaching against the LGBTQ community. I'm just now calling out abortion. I'm just now talking about election fraud. I'm just talking about Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I'm just now calling out this wicked nonsense. Sounds like he's promoing later videos, although that would be difficult at this point. Yeah. little spoiler alert there. But yeah, I'm looking at this and like it sounds to me like he's promoting the stuff that he talks about. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure just... In the context of this and the way these people think, that that was probably most of it. Yeah. I really hope it's true that people have gotten fed up with his bullshit. Oh, that's true. I wouldn't blame them for not making themselves known, though, by walking out. I'm sure they don't want their teeth kicked in by Rage Pastor. Oh, I'd be up on that platform (laughs) just to see what he might attempt to do. Because, I mean, we, we've already demonstrated what some of these idiots are okay with the public seeing them doing. Yeah. So, yeah, just out of idle and perverse curiosity, I would be up there on that platform yeah. just to see what he would do. I know. Well, he did actually threaten a Dunkin' Donuts employee with kicking their teeth in. And to cap that off, Twitter has permanently suspended his account in probably the wisest move since they banned 45 off the platform. I'm honestly surprised it didn't happen sooner after all the misinformation he's peddled about the pandemic, masking, and vaccination. It takes a little while for these things to catch up with them, but eventually it does. I mean, what 45 was doing was egregious, and they were able to directly trace things in his tweets to what happened on January 6th. But someone like Greg Locke, he's going to fly under the radar a little bit longer, but he's going to be found out. Yeah. The account referenced was permanently suspended for repeated violations of our COVID-19 misleading information policy, a Twitter spokesperson said in an email to Newsweek. Go Twitter. Yeah. But Locke has a big angry 
and he's going to sick the law on him. He took to YouTube to whine about being persecuted. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> oh, poor Greg Locke. Oh, poor persecuted Greg Locke. It's Got so one more little quote so here. Sad. Go ahead. Locke, whose Twitter bio identified him as outspoken pastor that is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus, who refuses to bow to the politically correct idols of our culture, claimed in the video that he is the first pastor with a verified platform to be permanently banned from Twitter and lamented the loss of almost 114,000 followers. That's not true, by the way. He's not the first pastor. Nah. 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 Not by a long shot. No. Locke announced that in response to Twitter's ban, he has already taken legal action against the social media giant, saying we've already had our wonderful lawyer for our ministry file and we have just entered into the class action lawsuit against Twitter and all of these censorship Nazis. Here's hoping your lawyer doesn't get this barred for yeah, taking right. such a frivolous and pointless case. Yeah, really. But as Hemet Menta at the Friendly Atheist says, he can die mad about it. He brought it on himself. As for the lawsuit, I'm certain it will go the way of the threatened lawsuits he proclaimed he'd bring to CNN and Newsweek. Nothing will happen. These are the consequences for living in a society. No one needs to give you a platform. And that, again, is what I keep saying about free speech. Yes. It guarantees you an opinion, yes. but not an audience. No. And you still can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Yeah. And that's what COVID conspiracy is. Yeah. So he's learning. Yes. Well, no, well, he's being no. taught. He's being he's taught. He's being taught. Whether he learns or not is to be seen. He's not going to learn anything. Jack learn, shit. No. He's no. not going to learn anything. But it's like, you know, the freedom of speech is a right, but it's also a responsibility. Yes, indeed. To not spew bullshit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But you see, the problem is it's still protected speech. And that's why there are still so many of these yahoos all over social media, including YouTube and Twitter, that are still saying a lot of the same things. Yeah. It's just that some of them have figured out a way to get around that part of it to the point where the messaging is a little bit softer, a little bit more subtle. Maybe they add the all-important disclaimer that no one listens to or reads. Maybe they're doing what they're supposed to to convey that this is an entertainment medium. If they do stuff like that, they can get away with a lot more. Right. It's when they start touting this shit as truth and fact, that's when they start getting into trouble. But arrogant assholes like this guy don't seem to understand the fine balance there. So they just keep barking and barking and barking until right. someone puts a muzzle on them. And, yeah. you know, that's what we need to do. Because, again, you have freedom of speech, but you do not have the freedom to spread false information. No. That could have life-threatening consequences for people. That's not free speech. No. That's just irresponsible. And the responsible thing to do at that point is to muzzle the speaker and not let him say that shit anymore. Yeah. And that's what happened here. Yeah, exactly. And with that, we just want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash network. Just $5 a month, just over a buck an episode, is what it takes to help us help more people get and stay unbound. And that is what our purpose is here. It's why we do what we do. We're here for the ex-evangelicals in particular, who are trying to find their way through this thing called life in a way that's more affirming for them, in a way that helps them get something out of life that they just would never get sitting there in that pew. 
And for those of them who have figured that out, we want to be here and we want to be able to keep doing what we're doing and keep giving them new things to think about or just let them know that they're not alone. That was the hardest part for me when I first got out of this thing was this feeling of isolation, loneliness, not knowing what my next move needed to be and not knowing really how to navigate life because my life was this thing for so long. So with your help, we're able to reach more people with this messaging. There are people out there working hard to make sure that they hear the gospel. Well, we're out here working hard to make sure that they hear the real truth and we need your help to do that. So with your dollars or with your likes, shares, five-star ratings, good reviews, sharing content, talking about the content, just Mm -hmm. telling someone new about the show this week, these are things that you can do to help us help more people get and stay unbound. We hope that you'll consider helping us financially, but if you can't, that's just fine. There's all those other things that you can do too. I want to leave it short and sweet on that point right now because we've got a lot to talk about tonight, and I want to just dive right in right now with our main topic. So we're talking tonight about SB8, the draconian, sexist, misogynistic, not by any definition pro-life Texas law that has ostensibly banned most abortions outright in the state and placed a bounty on the heads of any woman who has one, the doctors who perform them, and even the fucking Uber driver who drives her to the clinic almost 300 miles away in another state. Tonight, I want to focus on a couple things that I think people, especially ex-evangelicals who have spent years being fed pro-life propaganda, need to start thinking about and understand when it comes to this issue. Specifically, we're going to talk about why women get abortions and what happens when they aren't allowed to and they need them. So, Shell, I'm going to pass the mic over to you for just a couple of minutes because you came up with some good stuff here and I want people to hear your thoughts in your own voice. So we're going to start off with some of the reasons why women get abortions. And you came up with some really, really good stuff here. So I'm going to pass it right back over to you and let you tell our listeners what you came up with here. The reasons that people get abortions are widespread, encompassing a number of situations. There have been studies done that have monitored those various reasons that are outside of medical issues. The Guttmacher study of 2005 and the BMC study of 2013 show a lot of the same types of reasons. This is definitely a lengthy quote. It's not my words, so bear with me. Yeah, but it's meaty, and it says it better than I think either of us can. Yeah. And the link to the source for all of this is also in the show notes. Yes. So I'm just going to have you read off what you found. This is There's some really staggering stuff here yeah. in this paragraph, so tell them what you found. Okay. Women's reasons for seeking an abortion fell into 11 broad themes. The predominant themes identified as reasons for seeking abortion included financial reasons at 40%, timing at 36%, partner-related reasons at 31%, and the need to focus on other children at 29%. Most women reported multiple reasons for seeking an abortion, crossing over several themes at 64% of women. And that's why those numbers don't add up to 100%. Right. Because they answered in more than one category. Right. Some of these other themes could include being in an abusive relationship, 
their own drug or alcohol use, or other health concerns, such as being on certain prescription drugs, for instance, blood thinners or antibiotics. For some people, the suitability of the father or the desire to give a child a better life than the one they could currently give them was the main reason. The 2013 study also showed that medical reasons tended to increase with later gestational age as the common tests later in pregnancy are likely to show birth defects and how severe they may or may not be. Yeah, that's a big one. It is. That really is a big one. And, you know, it's one of those exceptions, one of the legit exceptions for late-term abortion. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. America is a crappy place to be disabled. Yeah, yeah, true that. We we don't help people nearly enough. Mm -hmm. And you have to think that being disabled, you need more money to live, not less. Yeah. Because all of the things you need cost more. Yes. Especially if you can't work. And a lot of states have pretty decent health care programs that will assist people who flat out can't pay for it. Right. But it doesn't make it any better. And there is no perfect system in place and certainly not here. Yeah. But, you know, the reasons for someone to have an abortion are complex, even if there's not a fetal medical issue or the child is a result of rape or incest. Even if those three situations are not the problem, there's a lot of reasons for a woman to want an abortion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And let's also remember that the risk of maternal or fetal death or both is not at all uncommon in these United States, even if the child is wanted and the parents or parent are ready to have a family. Among 11 developed countries, the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate. That's... And there's a relative undersupply of maternity care providers and is the only country not to guarantee access to provider home visits or paid parental leave in the postpartum period. That's from a recent report from the Commonwealth Fund. Compared with any other wealthy nation, the United States also spends the highest percentage of its gross domestic product on health care. I've known this. I've known this for a long time. But it has never set well with me. No. How I was brought up to believe, like a lot of Americans are brought up to believe, that America is it. You want to live here. You want to be an American. This is the greatest country on earth. Well, (laughs) I have seen very, very little evidence to suggest that that's true. Yeah. Because there are other places that, number one, aren't going to stand in the way of someone getting an abortion for whatever reason they want it. But also with some of the other things that we've just talked about and plenty that we haven't talked about, there are support systems and helps in place and much, 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 much better healthcare systems out there than anything that you're going to find here. I mean, I talk to people in other countries about some of the things that we go through in terms of like our healthcare system and you can almost hear their jaws drop. You can't be serious. You cannot be serious. Yeah. Yeah, we're serious. Yeah. And it's not getting any better. No, it isn't. When abortion is safe and legal, it is less dangerous than pregnancy and childbirth for all of the above reasons. When performed legally by skilled practitioners, abortion is a safe medical procedure with a low complication rate. The risk of major complications such as hospital, hospitalization, infection, blood transfusion or surgery in first trimester procedures is less than 
the risk of dying in childbirth is 14 times higher than the risk of dying from safe abortion. Studies show that abortion is not linked to long-term health complications, including breast cancer, infertility, miscarriage, or psychiatric disorders. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has reaffirmed the safety of abortion. Conversely, the negative impacts from abortion restrictions are well documented. Women unable to obtain abortions are more likely to live in poverty or depend on cash assistance and less likely to work full-time. Yeah, I'm going to get into a bunch of that stuff in a few minutes. That actually is a good springboard into some of the notes that I came up with, some of the research that I did. I'm going to lead off my part of this with the economic consequences Mm. of not having access to abortion services. I came up with some really, really good source material here. NBC News being the main one that I'm going to be drawing from for a little while here. So again, link is in the show notes. Got a couple of quotes and a few of my own thoughts along the way. This is an article about lifelong consequences. What happens when people can't get abortions? Just a quick quote from that article from Kate Bond, the director of labor market policy at the Washington Center for Equitable Growth. She says laws that limit abortion access have a huge economic impact. It's not just the year-over-year financial hardship associated with having children, but it also affects people's career trajectories. Diane Green Foster is a professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive sciences at the University of California, San Francisco, and she is leader of the Turnaway Study a nationwide project that examined the long-term effects of either having an abortion or being turned away. The study found that people who were denied an abortion had almost four times greater odds of being below the federal poverty level. This is a quote from Diana Green Foster. When individuals are blocked from obtaining care, they are more likely to struggle to afford basic living expenses like food, housing, and transportation. Mm -hmm. Unwanted pregnancies accounted for an average of 78% spike in debt that was over a month past due after the time of birth. So women who seek abortions and don't get them in a lot of cases will find themselves in varying degrees of financial trouble and some in out-and-out financial ruin. There was an 81% increase in bankruptcy filings, tax liens, and evictions after births in unwanted pregnancies over those who were able to obtain legal abortions on demand. Individuals who are denied an abortion are also three times more likely to be unemployed than those who obtained one. And one more contribution from Kate Bond. Quote, if you don't have certainty over family planning, you're much less likely to move into a higher paid occupation and complete education. And boy, have I seen that play out many, many, many times. Now let's talk about the effects on the health and well-being of women who are denied abortions versus those who are able to obtain them. Mm -hmm. Notice that I am treading very, very lightly using the word mother in these instances. I'm learning how to steer my vocabulary away from that concept right because i think that the term mother has a specific connotation that does not fit the descriptor of a lot of these women who decide to have abortions but the pro-lifers want us to believe that it's synonymous and i was taught for years to believe that it was synonymous so it's difficult 
hopefully I won't slip up too bad. <laughs> so the effects of health and well-being. Being denied an abortion. This is another quote from the same NBC News article. Being denied an abortion can significantly increase mental health issues such as anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem in the months after abortion denial and may cause life-threatening physical health outcomes that last years. Yeah. Especially these women that throw themselves downstairs so that yeah. they can self-abort. Um, before, I, w- I shouldn't say especially, but that's, it's, it's an example. Yeah. Before the law took effect, Dr. Uh, Babik Kumar, a staff physician at Planned Parenthood Center for Choice in Houston, typically saw 20 to 30 abortion case patients a day. On September 1st, he saw only six and half were past the new legal limit and had to be turned away. Kumar cautioned that the patients denied care could face, quote, lifelong consequences. Quote, the folks that will suffer are going to be low-income folks that already have poor access to health care and people of color, especially black women, he said. Surprise, surprise, surprise. surprise. Mm. The Turnaway study also revealed that over the course of five years after seeking an abortion, patients who gave birth that resulted from unwanted pregnancies were more likely to describe their overall health as poor. Many also report higher rates of chronic pain. Childbirth, under any circumstance, takes a physical and mental toll on the woman, often resulting in adverse health conditions and outcomes. Women who carry the term, whether the pregnancy is wanted or not, face issues like excessive bleeding during delivery, postpartum depression, gestational diabetes, and hypertension. This is another quote from the same source from Dr. Nisha Verma. When we're thinking about people's health care, their pregnancies, and their lives, Every person is different, and no law like SB8 can take each unique situation into account. Here's the thing. They don't fucking care. No. It's not about taking anything into account. It's about taking something into your own hands and under your own control. That's what this is about. They don't care what each individual situation brings to the table. They don't care about that. All they care about is controlling these women long enough to get them to give birth. And then they're done. And then they're done. Yes. They're not going to help in any meaningful way. No, they're not. There's no game plan after the baby is born. Um, Carrying any pregnancy to term is riskier to the woman's physical health than having an abortion. Add to it the other health consequences, including mental health issues. And that's a big one. Yeah. You get a situation that is far more dangerous than any abortion would ever be, at least on average, at least on the high end of average all of these other things are way 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 more dangerous than having an abortion would ever be and here's the kicker about 700 people in the united states die each year as a result of pregnancy or delivery complications and that is according to the centers for disease control and prevention and the maternal mortality rate is 20.1 deaths per 100,000 live births The total abortion-related complication rate is estimated to be about 2%, and death occurs in less than one out of every 100,000 abortions. Pro-lifers are going to say, well, it sounds to us like someone dies every single time. No, a pregnancy is terminated every single time. No one dies. The mother, you see, I did it again. The woman giving birth does not die. Right. Okay. And that's the point. 
it's safe for the person making the decision to have the abortion. Right. And we can sit here all night and play this game of ping pong over what these numbers actually represent and whether or not we should be factoring in the actual abortions to that number. But the bottom line is all of us have our own opinions Mm -hmm. as to what a baby is. I have mine. Okay. I don't agree with all of this. I will go on record and say that some of the things that I'm talking about tonight, even as they're coming out of my mouth, it's like, you know, this is not the way that I would personally look at this, but I can't look at it from the standpoint of what I think and feel. All I can do is look at what this issue does to society and the people that it affects. And I have to think about the people who are here right now who are going through all kinds of hell because they can't get the care and treatment that they need. Not all abortions are about birth control. And you know what? I am not a fan of abortion as birth control. No. But I'm not going to judge anyone for getting an abortion for any reason. Right. Because number one, it's none of my business. Number two, I have no idea where their headspace is and why they're making those decisions. And number three, again, it's none of my business. Right. Domestic violence is also common among people seeking abortions, and probably for very good reasons. It's a smart choice for women who are stuck in abusive relationships, because guess what? When you live below the poverty line, leaving isn't always a viable option. Those who are turned away for an abortion are more likely to stay with or in contact with an abusive domestic partner. They are also much more likely to wind up raising the child alone. Mm -hmm. And when I think about a baby in an environment where one or both of the parents has violent tendencies. You tell me what's worse, terminating the pregnancy early on or bringing a person, an actual person into the world so that they can experience that. Yeah. What is worse? That's why I say I keep my business, my business, Mm -hmm. and I let these people make their decisions for whatever reasons they're going to make them because If you live with an abusive partner, guess what? You can have a perfectly normal fetus that is developing inside you. And then your idiot boyfriend kicks you in the gut. Yeah. And then what? Mm. You know, there are so many things that these people sitting there and writing these laws to make their God happy just don't think about. Yeah. They just don't think about the big picture. They don't understand where some of these decisions come from and how flat out necessary they are in some circumstances. But again, Diane Green Foster had this to say, these are personal, intimate decisions. And if the government interferes, it changes people's ability to take care of themselves, their children, and even to have future children under better circumstances. It's not just political maneuvering. This is people's lives. I couldn't possibly say it better. Yeah. Let's talk about those instances now where abortion is medically necessary. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and Physicians for Reproductive Health released the following joint statement, quote, the science of medicine is not subjective and a strongly held personal belief should never outweigh scientific evidence, override standards of medical care or drive policy that puts a woman's health and life at risk. 
Pregnancy imposes significant physiological changes on a person's body. These changes can exacerbate underlying or pre-existing conditions like renal or cardiac disease and can severely compromise health or even cause death. Determining the appropriate medical intervention depends on a patient's specific condition. There's that term again. There are situations where pregnancy termination in the form of an abortion is the only medical intervention that can preserve a patient's health or save their life. That's why I keep my opinions out of it. Mm -hmm. As physicians, we are focused on protecting the health and lives of the patients for whom we provide care. Without question, abortion can be medically necessary. doesn't say it is in every circumstance, just that it can be. Mm -hmm. And I will put my two cents in on this. Medical necessity is a very broad term with wildly broad application. I saw it working in medical marijuana. Okay. And I'm certain that there are plenty of abortions that are performed late term because it turns into a convenience thing more than a health thing, but they can assign some kind of health issue to the situation that allows the abortion to happen. Now, you see, that's where I have a moral issue. But at the same time, I still don't know all the facts in every case. I just know that there are good reasons for this. There are not so good reasons for this. But if you want to keep it legal then the laws need to stay the way that they are. I was majorly impressed when I was in college. There was this one guy that I knew really just as in the evangelical Kool-Aid as anyone I knew, but also very smart. There were plenty of people there that at least had enough of a head on their shoulders to understand the logic behind abortion laws being the way that they were. Now, keep in mind, this conversation was happening while i was working with project fucking rescue Mm. okay and i you know i hadn't thought about it on this level before but like i have always been prone to do when this guy presented this argument to me it made me think and how long ago was it and i'm still (laughs) thinking about it yeah so this is what he had to say he said i'm as pro-life as anyone else on this campus but I am not about to pick up a sign and go out there and tell people that I want the laws to be changed when I don't. And here's why I don't. Let's just say I find somebody that I want to marry and start a family with. And this person winds up with, let's say it's an ectopic pregnancy and her life is being threatened. If the pro-lifers have their way, it won't be her choice to have that abortion. And I would stand behind any woman, my wife or anyone else I know, who is facing their own mortality if they don't terminate that pregnancy. I think that God would be okay with her doing what she needs to do to survive. Mm -hmm. We can try for another kid, but I cannot go out and just buy another her. So leave the laws the way they are. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your enthusiasm and I appreciate your commitment to saving the lives of babies. I get it, but I cannot in good conscience pick up that sign and stand with you. Yeah. And that, it stayed with me from that day to this. Oh yeah. And it really started shifting my thinking. And I started thinking about that. And it's like, Jesus, he's right. He is right. And the next time I was holding that sign, I felt a twinge of guilt. Yeah. And 
I think the next time I held that sign was the last time I held that sign because what he said made so much goddamn sense Mm -hmm. that I couldn't do it anymore. My brain is making a direct connection between those two things, at least right now. But I know whether it was only one more time or three more times or 10 more times, that thought was in my head. And it was a key contributor to me not being part of that movement anymore. Right. And I'm glad that I got out when I did. Yeah. Before they had a chance to drill more of that thinking into me. I'm very glad that I got away from that. And I'm also very glad that I never got into the real hardline activist end of it. Oh, All yeah. I ever did was hold a sign. Yeah. I was never one of the ones carried off by the police. Yeah. That so many of my friends bragged about back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the other really nasty and sinister end to Project Rescue. Oh, yeah. Where they would literally harass women going into abortion clinics to the point where police had to be called. And then you were supposed to do the whole passive resistance thing, go limp and let them carry you away. And I knew plenty of people who did just that. Fortunately, that was never me. Yeah. And I'm very thankful that that was never me. Um, It would just be one more thing to heap on myself with the religious trauma. I may have walked around with that picket sign a couple more times, but it stopped. And that's the point. But getting back to the notion of medical necessities, let's look at some of the legit reasons why I, if it was my wife, would be 1000% behind her getting an abortion. Impending miscarriage. There are all kinds of complications that can arise from having an actual miscarriage where you deliver the fetus on your own. When a miscarriage is imminent and they know that it's going to happen, inducing an abortion is a lot safer for the woman than it is to have her deliver in any normal, quote-unquote, normal way. Detectable birth defects, and again, to what degree? Because, I mean, if someone told us that Liam was autistic, I don't think that we would have aborted over that. But, you know, what is the severity of it and what kind of quality of life can this person expect? Heart disease, cancer, and the need for chemo. I think we we teased that a minute ago. Interference with taking other medications, diabetes, high risk for renal problems, that's kidney issues, kidney failure, aneurysms, embolisms, ectopic pregnancies, and the list goes on and on from there. Women who terminate for medical reasons are more likely to suffer mental health issues and issues with prolonged grief than women who terminate for other reasons. And that's significant because one of the things that they tried to drill into us, what the pro-lifers tried to drill into us and me in particular when we were young, was that if you have an abortion, you're going to grieve over it like forever and ever and ever. And I know that I know there are some women for whom that is true. Right. But I also know that there are plenty of women out there who have had an abortion or more than one abortion and don't regret it. Right. You know, it's all very individual in nature. And regardless of what your reasoning was, sometimes you just need a little bit of help and counseling to get through the decision making process and what happens after. And yeah, there are definitely instances where it can have an adverse mental health effect on the woman who had the abortion. And that's unfortunate because there are 
will always be lingering doubts. There will be things like I've heard of women who go through depressed periods when they get close to what their projected due date was and all of that stuff. These things happen, but they don't happen in the numbers and to the severity that the pro-life movement would like you to believe that they do. I'm not saying that makes it okay. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that it's not as big a problem as they make it out to be. And that right there is where mental health services come into play and should be utilized because I can definitely see there being grief and guilt associated with something like this. But I also know that there are productive ways of dealing with it. And in a vast majority of cases, there was a good reason why these people did what they did. Right. So there's help out there. And in in case this um, applies to anyone who's listening right now, yeah, there's help. And if you need counseling, if you need therapy, then you should be seeking it. And I also will go on record saying, you know what, this was your business and nobody else's. And you had your reasons. And if you look deep enough within yourself through the grief, through the guilt, I think that you will realize and recognize that at the end of the day, what you did was the right thing for you at that time in your life. And it was okay. What you did was okay. Someone needs to tell you that what you did was okay. All right. If you need someone to tell you in a more clinical way, then get the counseling that you need so that you can be at peace with the decision that you made. And just a last little point on this, a large number of pregnancies occur unintentionally. And this is, and will always be the number one reason why women have abortions. If it's none of your business, and it has nothing to do with your life, and you're not involved in the decision-making process, then just leave it. Leave it to the people who are burdened with making those decisions, and just keep your opinion to yourself. I think that's very, very good policy. Now let's segue just a little bit into the misogynistic history of the state of Texas. Texas is one of a small number of states that has a traceable history of ostensibly waging war on women over this particular issue. Texas has enacted 26 abortion restrictions in the past decade, including this year's six-week abortion ban and a ban on abortion that would go into effect if Roe v. Wade were ever overturned. During this time, the number of abortion clinics in the state has been reduced from 46 clinics in 2011 to only 21 in 2017. So it's difficult enough for these women to find those services. It was difficult enough before all this bullshit. Yeah. And yes, Texas has an enormous list of abortion bans and restrictions actively on the books. Let's look at just a few. Let me pull up this lovely website from the Guttmacher Institute that we referenced a little while ago. Let's take a look at some of the restrictions on abortion that you will encounter if you live in Texas and need these services. Most patients must receive state-directed counseling that includes information designed to discourage them from having an abortion and then wait 24 hours before the procedure is provided. So they're going to hit you with the propaganda Mm -hmm. and give you a day to sleep on it or they're going to force you to take a day to sleep on it. Let's just tell it like it is. Counseling must be provided in person for women within 100 miles of the provider and must take place before the waiting period begins, thereby necessitating two trips to the facility. They can't do this over the phone. They can't do it via Zoom or any kind of telemed anything. They have to be there, and it requires going twice. 
Private insurance policies cover abortion only in cases of life endangerment or if the woman's health is severely compromised. So, you want an abortion in Texas? Guess what? You are paying for it. Every last penny out yes. of pocket, you are paying for it. Health plans offered in the state's health exchange under the Affordable Care Act can only cover abortion in cases of life endangerment or severely compromised physical health. Medication abortion must be provided using the FDA protocol. The use of telemedicine to administer medication abortion is prohibited. So you can't get a telemed appointment and get the, uh, the meds. No, you again have to be there. The parent of a minor must consent and be notified before an abortion is provided. Public funding is available for abortion only in cases of life endangerment, rape, or incest. A patient must undergo an ultrasound at least 24 hours before obtaining an abortion. The provider must show and describe the image to the patient. How fucking manipulative. Yeah. An abortion may be performed at 20 or more weeks post-fertilization, 22 weeks after the last menstrual period, only in cases of life endangerment, severely compromised physical health, or lethal fetal anomaly, which my question is, who gets to make that determination? Yeah. Do the doctors get to make it anymore, or do these idiots writing the law who have mm -hmm. made it so impossible to get these services that now they're going to narrow the scope of what these things entail to the point where women can't get their abortions anyway? This law is based on the assertion, which is inconsistent with scientific evidence and has been rejected by the medical community, that a fetus can feel pain at that point in pregnancy. The state requires abortion clinics to meet unnecessary and burdensome standards related to their physical plant, equipment, and staffing. So if any of these things is off by even a little bit, then the whole thing can unravel. Yeah. And it can become literally impossible for a woman to be able to obtain an abortion, whether she wants it or needs it. It has become ostensibly impossible right. in Texas. So the question that I had as I was going through my research for this was, what is the legit medical reasoning for any of these decisions that are being made in Texas right now? And surprise, surprise, <laughs> there isn't any. Nope. There is no legit medical reason why any of this has to be a thing. Oh, they offer reasons, but none of them line up with anything that remotely resembles logic, reason, or most importantly, medical fact. But my, oh my, is there a lot of that going on right now, particularly in the Supreme Court, where evangelical rhetoric is going to prevail over facts for the next generation or longer. And that's a very, very scary thought. Yeah. These people say it's a heartbeat, so it must be a heartbeat. Proceed. That's the way the five idiots mm. who refused to block this law were thinking when they made the majority decision not to block it. They are basing their opinions on pseudoscience and not on fact. Isn't that what any kind of legal body is supposed to be concerned with? Truth, fact, yeah. things that can be verified, things that they can look up in a fucking medical journal and learn, oh, you know what? Maybe these religious nutters believe this, but that's not the way it is. Right. Here's the problem. The court is stacked with the fucking religious nutters. Yeah. And that's the real problem right that's, there. Yeah, definitely. And just to make a little bit more of a point here about the state of Texas and the way that they view life in general, 
I like to refer to Texas as the pro-life police state mm. for a number of reasons. But you want to talk about, in one way in particular, that this state shows its true colors when it comes to what they think about life. The only thing that you need to do is look at their capital punishment laws. Yeah. Texas alone is responsible for one in every three executions in the United States. And this coming from a 2018 article from Texas Monthly. Texas is seeking to speed up executions with a renewed request to opt in to a federal law that would shorten the legal process and limit appeals options for death sentence prisoners. Oh, and in September 2019, Governor Greg Abbott tweeted that expedited executions for mass shooters would make a, quote, nice addition to the package of policy proposals he was assembling in the wake of massacres in El Paso and Midland, Odessa. Defense attorneys worry it would lead to the execution of innocent people, and if it's applied retroactively, as Texas is requesting... It could end ongoing appeals for a number of death row prisoners and make them eligible for execution dates. So just take away their rights to appeal and just lay them on that table and put them down. This is what people like Greg Abbott want to see happen. Mm. And I'm reading this and my eyes went directly to nice addition. Nice addition? I mean, in the context of this conversation... It sounds like the sort of thing Joffrey Lannister would say. Yeah. It sounds like the kind of bloodthirsty kind of thing that some psychopath would take pleasure in. A nice touch? (laughs) Okay. I'm guessing this guy's also pro-life. I don't know. I, I didn't look up enough about him to be able to say for certain. But anyone who says something like this, I would say, has to be on that side of the political fence. And here's the question that I have for Texas. What kind of pro-life state tries to kill more people. Granted, mass shootings are awful, but what about all the other cases that they just want to take away the rights of the convicted to appeal? Because you have to know that more than a few innocent people, mostly black males, are going to be tortured to death in a procedure that gets botched in an alarming number of cases. Texas doesn't care about anyone's life. Their government as a collective seems far more interested in controlling who lives and who dies. No pro-life state, Mm. no pro-life state attempts to relieve people of their rights so the state can kill them quicker. Come on, Texas. You don't send the message that killing someone is wrong by killing someone for killing someone else. We've got a whole other conversation that needs to happen about capital punishment on this show. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I'm just going to lay the framework here, and we'll get back to this eventually. You also don't get to call yourselves pro-life by forcing women to suffer embolisms, heart attacks, complications from diabetes, and more from unwanted pregnancies, all of which can and do kill women every single year. Keep it up, Texas. Pretty soon, your head count will be one in three in two categories. Death sentences on alleged criminals and on women who get pregnant when they don't want to. How proud you'll be when that happens. Mm. So, in a case of the Department of Justice strikes back, we talked about this last week, but some new stuff has developed over the course of the last couple of weeks. This is from a CBS News article dated September 15th. That's yesterday for us, 9-15-21. 
It says, the Department of Justice filed an emergency order late Tuesday asking for a temporary halt to the new Texas law that bans abortions past six weeks. The department said in its filing that the new law, also known as SB 8, prevents women from exercising their constitutional rights. The United States seeks a temporary restraining order or a preliminary injunction in joining the enforcement of SB 8, the department said. This relief is necessary to protect the constitutional rights of women in Texas and the sovereign interests of the United States in ensuring that its states respect the terms of the national compact. It is also necessary to protect federal agencies, employees, and contractors whose lawful actions SB 8 purports to prohibit. The department claims the law, which went into effect two weeks ago, violates the 14th Amendment. Gee, you think? <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to see how the Supreme Court manages to weasel out of this because they're going to. I hate to be pessimistic here, but yeah. they're going to. And if anything is going to deal a death blow to our Constitution, it's going to be how they get around this. This has been an almost 50-year battle since the decision in Roe versus Wade. And for the longest time, it felt like it was basically an impenetrable sort of thing, mm -hmm. that it was something that was never going to be torn down. And then two weeks ago, we found out just how vulnerable it actually is. Yeah. And it's very scary. And how easily it can be overturned is very, very, very scary. In my opinion, the Supreme Court has already shat on the Constitution once to pander to Hobby Lobby and over something that's within the same strata with yeah. birth control. And can I just say that there is something wrong, very fundamentally wrong with a legal system that purports to be democratic, but leaves it to a single person to appoint people to the highest court in the land. Now, granted, there is an approval process, but it starts with one person. And in the case of three of these people, it started with a significantly evil person yeah. who had significantly evil intent in how he ran this country. And he is responsible for three of those votes to not place an injunction or whatever the, the terminology is to not stop this law from going into effect. He put three of the people who made that decision in their seats on the highest court of the land. So, yes, there is an approvals process. But at that point, we have to rely on our representative government to decide for us if the candidate is a good match for the job. And. Far too many of the people that we elect to represent us are not in Washington representing us. They are representing their own interests, and they are representing the interests of the people that give them the most money mm -hmm. or throw them the most votes. Yeah. And that's a problem. And we've seen how well it works. We've seen how well this entire process works, this whole quote-unquote representative government thing that we have going on, especially in matters that evangelicals feel strongly about. We've seen how ineffective our representative government can be in representing everyone. There will never be fair and balanced rulings that come from a system that guarantees that balance never exists. I'm not a lawyer, so maybe one out there can explain this to me, but how do you derive equality from a system with an odd number of seats and no restrictions on who fills them? We could we could have nine Republican justices. Imagine the horror yeah. that that would be. But it could happen. 
the way that our system is set up right now, it could happen. Why is that even a thing that could happen? That's the question that plagues my mind these days. Why is it even a thing that we could see happen? I love how the symbol of our justice system is balanced scales. Where is the balance in the Supreme Court? Where has it ever been? Okay, because I'll go right on record saying that the liberals shouldn't get their way on everything either. Right. Okay. So there are arguments on both sides of the political fence that are legit. But the way that things are set up right now, there's no real way to have equality because one side is always going to outrule the other. And that, to me, is very problematic. Yeah. So where is that balance? The answer is simple. It doesn't exist. The side with the most seats has and will always have all the power. Is it wrong? <laughs> you bet. But what's the better system? And I'm here to tell you, I don't know. But I know that what we're working with right now is very, very fundamentally flawed. Five voices out of 300 million are capable of making decisions that affect the 300 million without any deference to the opinions of the majority. It's wrong, it's dangerous, and it needs to change. And I also know that there is no constitutional way to justify SB 8 but just you wait until the Supreme Court comes back with its ruling based on its alternate facts about things like fetal heartbeats. Yeah. yeah. Shell, I'm going to toss this back over to you because you found some other really good stuff here that I want to make sure gets out before we start winding this down. So you found some really good information here about what things were like before yes. Roe v. Wade. Yeah. I really want people to hear this. Okay. Well... Uh, I was reading an NPR interview with Carissa Haugeberg, assistant professor of history at Tulane University, about what it was like to get abortions before Roe v. Wade. Here is a quote from her about that time. Immediately before Roe v. Wade, officially approximately 200 women died per year. Historically, the most commonplace method that women have used when they haven't been able to obtain legal abortions is self-induction. Those are the horror stories that you hear of women trying to fall downstairs or ingesting poisons or using instruments to try and induce an abortion. Another method that women commonly used was turning to the unregulated market. Mm -hmm. And some women were able to find providers who were willing to perform abortions safely, but criminally at great risk to their professional careers and at risk of being imprisoned themselves. So one thing that's kind of interesting is that throughout the period when abortion was criminalized beginning in the mid-19th century, for the most part, physicians were the people who were providing it, as well as midwives, as long as a physician was offering the service until about the 1930s, they were less vulnerable to being prosecuted or having police raid their practice. And so there was a vibrant word-of-mouth network that enabled many women to find safe providers, but again, they were always operating in a gray area. And regardless of how skilled these people were, there were always safety concerns oh, because sure. these things were not typically happening in a clinical setting. No. There were cleanliness issues. Mm -hmm. There were issues just with the overall atmosphere of the places, the venues where these procedures were being performed. So there was never 
a quote unquote safe way to get this done. It was safer than average if you were working with a doctor or a midwife, but there was never a safe way to get this done until the law started protecting it. Right. I wanted to read this article or part of the article. Yeah, don't read the whole article. I'm not going to read the whole thing. (laughs) It's an article in The Atlantic called My Abortion Before Roe versus Wade by Elizabeth Stone. She was talking about her abortion in December of 1965. Mm -hmm. And she was lucky because she was in an urban area and she had better access than most. And she talks about what she had to do. On a freezing Monday morning just before dawn, I was standing by myself on a street corner in Rahway, New Jersey. In my pocket was a white envelope filled with five $100 bills that my parents had willingly given me to pay for an abortion. I kept checking to make sure the envelope was still there as I waited for a stranger to pick me up and take me someplace, who knows where, for the abortion I'd scheduled the Friday before. The person I had made the appointment with warned me that the driver would not stop if he thought he could be followed, so her boyfriend was parked out of sight around the corner. He would wait there for her to return. The person on the phone also told me that I would likely lose blood and that I would need red meat. At my home, my mother was waiting to cook me a steak. That is, I thought, if I got home, would anyone ever see me alive again? A day earlier, I'd read a story in the paper about a woman named Rita Shea. She'd been found dead in her car, which had been left parked in front of her home. She was the victim of a botched abortion performed in an airport motel near JFK. The medical student who had performed the abortion had been arrested. Abortions were not only illegal, they were deeply shameful for unmarried women, so seeking help had to be done in whispers from friend to friend to friend. As the word went out about my situation, my closest friends, including my roommates, revealed only that the request was to help a friend of a friend. Promising leads didn't materialize, but within a few days, a single scrap of paper with a scrawled New Jersey phone number made its way under our dorm room door. I never knew exactly from whom it came, but I knew right away what it was, and it was all I had. So she made an appointment, and they had two visits. She had one visit to get looked at by a doctor, and mm-hmm. then the other two have the abortion. Yeah. And this all took place through payphones, and she's talking about it. When the gas station payphone rang the next day, a male voice gave me the salient information. They would use sodium pentothal, so I'd be anesthetized and unconscious during the DNC. I shouldn't eat anything after 9 p.m. on Sunday. He told me to be at an intersection in Rahway that Monday at 7 a.m. and to bring a white envelope with five $100 bills. $500 in the mid-60s. Yeah, that's... Jesus. That was a lot of money. But it was also a very risky operation. How would my friend know where to collect me after the procedure? I would be taken back to the same spot three or four hours after I'd been picked up. Texas, this is your future. Yeah. It's going to come right back around to this again. That is if no one stops you. Yeah. And she describes, you know, she doesn't describe the abortion because was, she was asleep, but she describes the procedure and what she had to go through and where they brought her. And then she said, after that, I don't remember much of my time there except a flash of returning consciousness in the cot room. 
The waves of nausea I felt as the man in scrubs hurried us into our clothing and out of the apartment, and the driver holding the door open as we got back into his car. I'd been the last picked up and now would be the first out. When I got to my stop, the girl in the red parka leaned over to hug me and I hugged her back. She told me she remembered me from the doctor's office and asked whether that had been my boyfriend with me. When I nodded, I saw something in her expression that seemed to confer on me an odd kind of status, and it made me want to cry. In the months that followed my abortion, a numb fog settled in me, over me, and around me. In my diary, I could only bring myself to refer to the abortion as the horror of December. I kept talking about wanting to tear the veil off, by which I meant I wanted my feelings back. Mm. And she was one of the lucky ones. She had parents who supported her. She had the money to do it. The $500 they gave me for the abortion would be worth $4,000 today. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Abortion, even when legal, regulated, and safe, is emotionally complicated. Illegal abortion is also potentially dangerous. If Roe versus Wade is further gutted or repealed, abortion will once again take place in the shadows with women forced to stand on street corners in strange cities, wondering if they'll live till lunchtime. This is 2021. Yeah. This is the year 2021. Yeah. And given what the world looked like in 1965, I could see that sort of scenario playing out. Mm -hmm. But until just a couple of weeks ago, I could never see it happening now. But at least in Texas, this is where things are going to return to if someone doesn't do something about this. Mm -hmm. If they fail to get the injunction that they need or the restraining order, I love that they are looking for a restraining order. The DOJ is looking for a restraining order against this law. Against the state. Against the state. Yeah. To enact this law. If they fail, then everything that you just read is where things are going, at least in that state. Yeah. And it is very, very, very scary to think of. Now, technology may uncomplicate some of it. Yeah. But not all of it. No. Not by a long shot. Mm -mm. Is it going to uncomplicate some of the things that this person went through? There may not be street corner rendezvous. Yeah. It may be done more through text and prearrangement and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. But it's going to be the same type of scenario. Right. And it's going to be equally risky. Yeah. And plenty more women are going to die. So like I said earlier, Texas, are you trying to get your kill count up? even further in two categories instead of one now. It's not bad enough that you're responsible for one in three executions. Now you want to be responsible for all of these women dying because you told them they couldn't have an abortion. Yeah. The whole thing is so far beyond wrong. I don't even know if there's a descriptor for how wrong this is. I'll be perfectly honest here. I don't know what the solution is. And I wish I had better advice than vote and call your congressman because when nine people in black robes are the ones making the final decisions on these kinds of matters, what is our recourse? And how many steps closer did we just come to watching a true Margaret Atwood dystopia play out before our eyes? Is Texas the new Gilead? Only time will tell. 
And only time will tell precisely how strong our constitution really is and whether or not it can continue standing up to the tyrannies of a Supreme Court whose majority seats are clearly more concerned with the musings of a fictional bloodthirsty deity than they are with the safety, well-being, and freedom of the people over whom they lord their power. Will that document vanish into obsolescence and take the American experiment with it? Or will it be the thing that moves us past religiosity and allows for a renewed sense of security in the continuance of our way of life? Because right now, that document and those who are willing to fight for its application in the best interests of all Americans is the only thing that can stop the war on women in Texas. Stand in solidarity. Use your voice where and when you can because it still matters. And support those in our government who see this law for what it is and are making it their primary focus to get the women of Texas unbound from the tyranny of SB8. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.